0: Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, June twenty third. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Eno's laughing already. We're four Already. seconds into the podcast. that You got to check out YouTube. <laughs> we're trying to, to get more people to subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the like button on our videos. You got Officer
2: DJ Booty over here.
0: and'd <laughs> <laughs> love to buy some new boots, get some new boot goofing in uh, later today. That's, that's what's on my to-do list. But on this episode, our to-do list includes the uh, kind of sister episode of the pod earlier in the week. We were talking about buy-high hitters earlier in the week. Today, we're going to talk about some buy-high pitchers, get some questions in the mailbag about a few struggling players. we got uh, the Giants adding a couple of bats that – are kind of these positionless guys that could be pretty interesting with the right sorts of adjustments. We'll talk about whether or not it actually happens. We got a Spencer Strider question, which, as you might see on YouTube, kind of fits the the vibe that I'm projecting over here. <laughs> and uh, actually, if you're wondering why is he wearing sunglasses, Dylan Z, Spencer Strider and you, <laughs> yeah, why is he wearing sunglasses? Well, it's because. With the sunglasses, I don't look like a Scooby-Doo villain. Without the sunglasses, I look like a Scooby-Doo villain. That's not a compliment to myself. So I think it looks a little better with the sunglasses going. But nevertheless, here we go. We are off and running. We were talking about buy high pitchers. We talked about Shane McClanahan a couple of weeks ago as someone who had really made the leap and had kind of put himself in the conversation, maybe to be a first-round pick. If you were doing a mid-season draft or if you were starting to think about early, very early 2023 20, draft boards and what those might look like. So I don't think we need to go into any extra detail with McClanahan here. Well, I
2: should I should throw a, a caveat out there, man, Like a, or a mea culpa. I had him at 11 in my ranks. Uh, I think partially that's because the bat had him at 16th. Um, and I felt like you know I've had Shane McClanahan as a borderline top ten guy all year. This is where I had him. I'm ahead of the bat. Everything is good. Uh, part of that is because he's projected for fewer innings going forward. Um, you know, someone asked me, "Would I trade?" You know, I have Rodon ahead of him. Would I trade McClanahan for Rodon? And I, uh, I said I would at the time. And I, you know, I think it's pretty close there. Uh, even though Rodon is seven and McClanahan has eleven on my ranks, because You know, there's a possibility that Rodon throws more innings, but, uh, you know, he's projected for 118 more innings, Rodon, and McClanahan 97, but Rodon has that injury history, so do we really believe that? I think sort of with some internal soul-searching, I do believe that McClanahan is a top-five pitcher, so Uh, I don't think it's, like, the worst mistake I've ever made, putting him 11 when maybe he should have been 5 or 4. Uh, But I do think it's uh, worth pointing out that he probably will have fewer innings than anybody not named Jacob deGrom uh, that's in that top 10 range.
0: Yeah, I think we've seen that in recent years where there's oftentimes one pitcher with a considerably lighter workload than the other top five pitchers on earned value because their strikeout rate is exceptionally high and the ratios are phenomenal over... 160 or 170 innings. DeGrom and Kershaw have done these things. Right. I think that's more in line with what you're thinking in terms of the gap between other ace workloads and McClanahan's 2022 workload. But he belongs there. If you're trading one of your best bats or even your best hitter to get Shane McClanahan because you have a roster that has too much hitting and not enough pitching, I'm not going to push back on that. I think it's actually a smart move.
2: Also, philosophically, we're starting to see a home run on contact go up. Um, And so I believe that this might be uh, an interesting time to do something like that uh, because you will get power from other sources. Pitching will become more scarce um, and uh, it might be good timing to go get an ace like that. It might
0: might make sense. Yeah, um, because we are probably going to see ERAs go up a little bit warmer weather, more runs scored ball interactions. We're not going to get into the ball today, are we? We're going to save that for like a future Wednesday, maybe. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to save you from yourself on this one. I'm not going to push Just it. Written enough about muddy balls. <laughs> enough for a entire lifetime. Uh, I would say Joe <sighs> It's in The Athletic today, if you'd like to look. (laughs) Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels, $1 a month for the first six months. Read about the muddy balls. There
2: you go. Muddy balls, muddy balls. It's hot, hot, hot.
0: Joe Musgrove, I think, is (laughs) another guy we talk a lot about on this show who has reached another level, right? I think you were as high on Musgrove as anybody I saw rankings-wise going into this season, and he might be even another step above where he started, which is... Everything falling into place, I guess, right? More time on a great team, continuing to hold some of the skills that we saw from last year. So I guess... And I did the same thing with him, dude. Is he in the top 10, though, now? Well, I did the same stupid thing where he was
2: ahead of the bat. He looked right, according to Pitching Plus. He was where I had him before, and I was like, I still like him, you know? And people were like, he's too low. I had him 17. Why do I have him 17? I st- you know I like him I like him better than Montas who's ahead of him, but the guys ahead of him I really like. Like if you say he's in the top ten, you better tell me some people you don't have in the top ten. You know what I mean? Because I have the guys ahead of him are Dylan Cease, love him, Sandy Alcantara, love him, Scherzer, McClanahan, Otani, Wheeler. Like who you taking out to put Musgrove in? I, it's not necessarily that I think Musgrove is bad. I just think that you know. Once things start shaking down, yeah, there's he's a, he's an ace ish guy, he's a top 15 ish guy, but top 10, he's got to push somebody real out. You know, who's the who? What are those names that I just rapid fired at you, you pushing out for Joe Musgrove?
0: Don't know if there's any, to be honest. I, I think you've got that settled in right. Just because he's third in earned value today doesn't mean he's going to be third in end value at the end of the season, right? He might finish. Eighth or twelfth or something in that range, and it wouldn't be all that surprising because he's not going to have. But it also means you can buy high if you want. Like I, like I do believe in it. I think the the challenging thing with Musgrove though is that he's done this now for more than this season, so I think you're paying pretty close to full freight. I think everyone is caught up on Musgrove. Oh, and the whole idea with buying high is that
2: you've got this inkling of doubt on the other side. Yes, and that maybe he's over his skis and I'm I'm selling high and like I'm making some money off of this.
0: Right, which brings me to Tony Gonsolin. I think Tony Gonsolin is one where most of us look at him and say, okay, Tony Gonsolin was interesting prior to this season and none of us expected him to be top five in earned value among pitchers through the first no. three months of the season. So I think there's that gap there. It's like, okay, he's not this good. How good is he? And then people might underestimate how good he actually is because they think he's further out over his skis than he actually is, I guess, is the way to continue the metaphor. So I know Gonsolin's been extra tricky because of the shoulder injury that he had. Job security was an issue at times. That's not a problem anymore.
2: Completely departing for him at times.
0: Yeah. But how does he look right now with everything results wise being this good? I think, I think the, the thing that's been most surprising to me and the thing that is the
2: hardest to predict. And the thing that, uh, is uh, even the pitching plus model is not great in, 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 small samples is his command has returned. I mean, he's, uh, he's been over a hundred location plus in, uh, seven out of his last nine starts. So, you know, that's not the Gonsolin that we saw in that, in those playoffs where like he, he lost, he was out of the rotation because he couldn't find the plate, you know? So, um, uh, that that command coming back is great. That makes him an above-average pitcher. Um, we're doing all the validation for the model because there's, you know, t- for a rollout soon. And um, around 50 to 60 innings pitched, uh, strikeouts minus walks becomes a little bit more powerful than pitching plus. That's right where we are, you know. So pitching plus is super valuable still because you're talking about What do I do in the first ten starts? What how do I evaluate a pitcher in the first eight to ten starts? You'd still rather use pitching plus, but right around now K minus BB is coming online, and the reason I mention that is that Gonsolin doesn't look that great there either, but he looks good. So it's kind of that line that you're trying to draw of is he how far out in front of his keys is he? You know what I mean? Uh, Is is hard to draw. So I've got minimum innings pitched sixty. Uh, and I'm on the advanced leaderboard for, for fan graphs, doing strikeouts minus walks. And, uh, he's 48th, I believe, or 30, 38th. So what is it? He's right there with Alex Wood, Sandy Alcantara, who's not a, a strikeout genius. And uh, it's kind of hard to, you wouldn't compare Gonsolin to Sandy Alcantara. They're just different guys. But, um, here, here's a righty he's right next to John Gray. So Tony Gonsolin has the has very similar peripherals to John Gray. John Gray has a 418 ERA. Tony Gonsolin is a 158 ERA. And in fact, they, their pitching plus is pretty similar too. So do you do you, I mean, is he
0: is he much better than John Gray? Maybe not. Here's the the truth that would be amazing is if Tony is more like a true talent 325, 340 ERA guy, and Gray is also that and people don't think Gonsolin's quite that good, right? Because John Gray might be a, a simple buy low right now, based on what you're saying.
2: I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, he's been throwing the curveball more. There's a piece, I got a piece coming out tomorrow. He's been throwing the curveball more, and and it's it's improving, and it's good. I, I I think John Gray's fine, but John Gray is the kind of guy that I would have as, like, a top 50 pitcher. I wouldn't start him in every single start, but I wouldn't drop him for a streamer.
0: Yeah, I think with Tony Gonsolin, the buy high is, like, going to require a little more precision. I think the gray comp is actually you know, pretty fair. I think with Gonsolin, fastball velocity is a little lighter than you'd like it to be. So that's one knock against them. Arsenal's deep. He's fixed some of the, the command issues. The control looks pretty solid across the board. I think if you treated a like a top 40 starting pitcher the rest of the way, that would be appropriate. And again, he's been a top five guy based on results so far. Mm-hmm. But when you trade for Tony Gonsolin... Do you think you're able to get him for less than it takes to get a top 40 starting pitcher? Or maybe, I mean, is that even possible at all? It really depends. Part of this depends on who drafted the player, if they believed he was a sleeper, if they've lost other players. Obviously, there are tons of other variables that come into play here. But I think figuring out where Gonsolin truly belongs and then where where Gray would be on that same list. I think John Gray probably is a top 60 starting pitcher the rest of the way. And we often say that once you get past that top 25, top 30 That next chunk from 30 on down to about 75 is wide open. There's a lot of room for players to move within that group. So I don't think Gonsolin is elite. I don't think many people out there think he is. I think he is better than we expected, but I think placing him, it might be hard to get him via trade at a level that you're comfortable with because he's just been so good in the results so far. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just also I wonder what the role of schedule
2: is. If you are gonna buy high, I would try to game out his schedule. Uh, you know, he's had some good offenses, uh, but there's a fair amount of Arizona uh, in there. In fact, he was uh, lucky enough uh, to get Arizona three times <laughs> in his last ten starts. Um, and uh, you know, I wonder. I wonder what that looks like. Of course, he's gone into Cincinnati and done well. Uh, he's handled the Mets, so he's handled some good offenses. But um, uh, you know, I would I
0: would want to know what the schedule looks like going forward. Let's take a look at Alec Manoa. I think there's a little more of a McClanahan-y vibe in terms of being a young guy that misses some bats, and it could be very good for a long time. He's doing it against tough competition in the AL East. So, how much of a bump? Has Manoa received since you were ranking players at the end of draft season?
2: Well, one of the things that has actually improved for him is his stuff. So I know that his strikeout rate is down. That's a little bit weird for me. Um, I, I think it's just uh, I don't know what it is. I I would uh, assume that I would assume that his strikeout rate will go up going forward. And so it's one of those weird things where like. Uh, his peripherals are are okay, uh, you know. Back to that strikeout minus walk uh, leaderboard. Um, let me see where Manoa is. He's twenty fifth, so that's pretty good. Uh, he's right there with Charlie Morton uh, as a comp, and in fact, they both have great that great breaking ball uh, and good command. So yeah, I, I you know he's comfortably a top twenty pitcher. I think he's probably a top fifteen pitcher. Um, and I and I think he, in fact, can be better than these peripherals going forward because I do think
0: he can strike more batters out. It's kind of interesting. The the pitch mix looks almost identical to last year in terms of the fastball slider changeup changeup just under 10 percent of the time slider just under 30 percent of the time. A lot of fastballs, not a big jump in terms of velocity, but. Is it movement? Is it just a little bit of, of refinement in, in those areas that's, that's enabled him to be more productive? And the other surface thing that clearly stands out to people is just the walk rate's lower. He's cut his walk rate down to 4.7%. And we didn't see much of Manoa in the minors because of the lost pandemic year in 2020. So I think it, it's been very difficult all along to even come up with a true baseline for what we expect his walk rate to be. I think, the, uh, I think the struggle for Manoa is the four-seam fastball.
2: Uh, he has uh, starts this year where he's had 118 stuff-plus on it, and he's had starts this year where he's had an 83 stuff-plus on it. So I, I think that maybe he's kind of a true sinker baller that learned how to put ride on his four-seam. Um, that's what I would assume kind of from his slot and uh, just looking at these numbers. Um, and the four-seam, when he's going right, is uh, is – Better than his uh, than his sinker. Um, he's lucky that he has both though. and in fact, uh, I've heard that that is a bit of a cheat code when it comes to pitchers. Mm-hmm. It's something that I want to look for going forward. if a bat if a pitcher has b- a four seam and a two seam, they can do things with the fastballs where it truly becomes two pitches as opposed to just a fastball, quote unquote, right. you know um, in terms of like, in terms of a hitter's approach let's say you're 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 approaching an at bat and you you know the guy has just one type of hard pitch right then you can say okay he's got the four seam when it's hard it's going to look like this it's going to jump at me i'm going to target the bottom uh, the top of the the top of the ball and and hit it flush and blah 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 i have my my ideas right but if they if they like remember Jay hap i do hap always was better than you thought and part of it was he had pretty good distinction between his four seam and his two seam. He had two very separate fastballs. And now what happens is if it's hard, the pitch, the hitter has a second decision they have to make. It's hard, and then what? You know what I mean? Like, ooh, fastball. Oh, crap. Wrong fastball. Mm-hmm. You know? And another thing that I looked at, I I, I talked to Suarez. You, you Suarez about this once. When Suarez was going really well, one thing that he was doing that was a little bit unique was he could hit the four seam and the two seam. He had he was he had the ability to hit both fastballs. But if you look at, you know, the types of hitters uh, that there are out there, for the most part, uh, they're good at one or the other. So, hmm. you can look at uh, pitch pitch info, pitch type values uh, on fan, on fan graphs. Um, and that's just summing up their value or, or on pitches. Um, if you look at the guys who are good at four-seamers, Aaron Judge is great at four-seamers. He's average at sinkers. Jeremy Pena, great at four-seamers, average at sinkers. Bryce Harper is the fourth best hitter in the major leagues against four-seamers. He has a negative pitch type value on sinkers. Uh, Jorge Soler is the same. Rafael Devers has a negative pitch type value against sinkers. Now, if you do it the other way and go by sinkers... Cole Calhoun is the best hitter in Major League Baseball against uh, sinkers. He has a negative value against four-seamers. So one of the best guys that's great at both is Jose Ramirez, uh, Dansby Swanson, uh, Wilson Contreras, Mike Trout. You might have heard of him. Yeah, he's pretty good. Tommy Edman, Nolan Arenado. So there are guys who do it. I'm not saying there's not anybody who does it. But... Uh, it's 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 much more common to see someone be better at one fastball or the other. So a pitcher who has both uh, can also switch between the scouting reports. Right? Oh oh oh! I do have a good sinker. This guy's not good against the sinker. Or I do have a four seamer. You know. So um, and I, and I think some of that might end up in foul balls. Right? If you if you guessed hard and you got hard, but you got the wrong hard pitch. I think
0: that that might be a foul ball. Right. You're going to get some weak contact. Or weak contact, yeah. Manoa's been good at limiting hard contact. He's got a good home run rate. You look at some of the the actual batted ball numbers. His barrel rate this season, 2.7%. Last year as a rookie, 5.8%. Hard hit rate was 31.2%. This is the Fangraph's number, at least down at 25.8% now. That's really good.
2: You know, my rankings aside, uh, you know, I had him uh, right there with Joe Musgrove. Maybe he's... You know, it's still you still have to push somebody down. I think Montas is the guy that goes down. Um, and uh I don't know. I do do you see a reason to push Cease down? No, not really. No, we just
0: talked about him on three oh today. He leads the league in strikeouts over the past calendar year. That's yeah. That's, I forgot about that nutty ass stat already. That's how good my brain
2: is. Uh Otani just went out and shoved. Uh people might want Woodruff lower. I'm not. Woodruff is my buy low. I'm, yeah, go get him if you if you want a good buy low. Go get Woodruff.
0: Yeah, it seems
2: like everything
0: is okay. I think he, the Renaud syndrome that he was experiencing. That was
2: scary when I heard that. I was like, oh my God, thoracic outlet. Oh my God, he's screwed. The symptoms but are he, basically the same. That's why there's the, that little that's why I heard that, extra yeah. bit
0: of fear that I have. But of- I, I, then he had a good rehab start and we didn't hear anything more about it. So hopefully it is, in fact, something that he's been able to put behind him and not part of a a longer term issue as it pertains to Brandon Woodruff. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but
1: can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
0: Just thinking a little more about what you were saying with the, the imbalance for some hitters where they hit four seamers really well and don't hit two seamers. I imagine it's just a hypothesis. It's, I hadn't really thought much about this until you brought it up that more hitters are dialed in against four seamers right now than two seamers just because the league as a whole hasn't favored sinkers in recent years, which probably is right. part of why the sinker is starting to come back around because it's effective when guys are no longer able to hit it.
2: And, and a bit of honesty, like uh, sinkers and changeups are the things that in our stuff model we are just always looking at, you know? Like, you know, you might, like Bruce Dargadderall. I, I, I admit it's weird that he has a low stuff number. It's weird. Like, I mean, you just watch him, you're like, that's nasty. So, um, you know, it's obviously something we're monitoring. It's something we're thinking about. It's possible that teams have better numbers, stuff numbers on sinkers and changeups because it's possible that your arm angle and, like, your limb angles, your biometric sort of tracking data uh, has a lot to do with what makes a good sinker and changeup. up um, So, and we don't have that. I don't have access to that. So, anyway... Um, That's just something to think about that if you do think that someone is undervalued uh, on my rankings or by the pitching model, and they do display both a four seam and a sinker that uh, in, and I'm not saying they throw 2% sinkers or something, you know, that's probably just a measurement error, but if they, they significantly throw both fastballs then just remember to consider that.
0: Yeah, definitely an interesting thing to to think about as you're looking for guys that might be able to avoid damage at a better than expected clip. We got to Logan Gilbert just a couple of weeks ago, so I don't know if we have to do a deep dive in there. I'm more in than out. I mean, I think I'm treating him kind of like a top 20, top 25 range starting pitcher right now, which isn't that far away from where I had him coming into the season. So if you can get him in that range, I, I don't see I don't see a collapse coming with Logan Gilbert. I think is the easiest way that I could sum up why I'd be willing to trade for him right now, even though his value is seemingly peaking.
2: Yeah. Uh, i him at 33, but, uh, I had him behind the ones that the model didn't understand, which is Bieber, G Lito and freed. And I would move him at least ahead of G Lito. Uh, uh, Walker Bueller falls out of my top 25, uh, due to injury. Um, Luis Severino is dealing with some weird inj- injury. So, uh, not Luis Severino, sorry, Nathan Ivaldi. Um, so, uh, there's some names that I could push out of the way and uh, get Gilbert into the top 30. But again, when you start getting to the top 25, you have to push one of those names I just mentioned out of the way for him. So, if you're going to play the would-you-rather Logan Gilbert or Zach Gallen?
0: Gilbert. No. Yeah. I think it's mm. Gilbert for me. Yeah, I think the 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 arm Maybe injury for Gallon is not the same as other arm injuries, right? Because it was more of a, a, a contact problem. He got it. He got a hitting. Yeah, slight edge to Gilbert.
2: All right, I like I like, like Gallon's wide breath. Like a, has a wider arsenal. Uh, Gilbert doesn't trust his changeup and his curveball is not good, so he's mostly fastball slider with show me other pitches. Um, but I I do like him. Maybe Gilbert has more wins opportunities than Zach Gallon. Um, but I think I would have and How And how about this? Would you rather Nestor
0: Cortez or Gilbert? Yeah. Gilbert. I like Nestor a bit. I've finally come around slow to the party. Should have been listening to Nando on that one. He was on mm-hmm. board immediately and, as a fellow mustache fellow mustache, mustache however, too. Right. I mean, I think thats uh, that goes without <laughs> saying. I, I knew we were going to talk about Nestor and Spencer Strider today, so I'm just you know, leaning into the, the characters <laughs> that we're talking about. We're now looking at, with Nestor going back to last season, 167 innings with a sub three ERA, 181 strikeouts, and a whip that is right about one even. K rate during that span walk rate in the kind of low 6% range, plenty of swinging strikes has a little bit of a home run issue, but for his home park, I don't think it's an alarming home run rate whatsoever. Okay. Like what about this isn't real at this point? Is it just the magnitude of the ratios? Is it just the, the sub three ERA part that we have a hard time buying into as a, a sustainable part of this profile?
2: Projections say it's the homers. He did have uh, some small sample issues with homers in his first three tries of the league. He's in a homer-friendly park, and right now he's down to 1.1 homers per nine. Projections have him anywhere from 1.3 to 1.6.
0: So that's uh, where they think the big change is going to come. That's where I think because the projections are a bit bearish, on Nestor Cortez I think that creates an opportunity for the buy high in this particular case yeah I mean it's a good it's a good strikeout minus walk rate
2: uh it's it's a high fly ball rate so he's definitely a fly ball guy but the question is can he get
0: most of those in pop-ups and uh can he keep it in the park I have a related question though thinking about the four seamer two seamer he's four seamer cutter do you think there's similar Mm -hmm. does Does any two combinations of fastballs, does that work the same way or does it have to be four-seamer, two-seamer to keep hitters as, as off balance as that combination can?
2: Well, in his case, the cutter is 87 and the fastball is 91. I mean, I think the question we're asking is, can the hitter tell the difference? And normally the sinker fastball difference is about one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would assume that hitters can tell the difference between that cutter and that fast that four seam. But um, you know what assumptions do. <laughs> yep, I think I do. Uh, I, I'm i coming down on the... I'm going to give uh, Nestor Cortez 1.3 homers per nine going forward, uh, which basically gives him like a 3.75 ERA. That's, that's where I come.
0: So I would take Gilbert. If you're making a trade... For a pitcher that we've talked about so far and your choices, the player you're trading with has Tony Gonsolin and Nestor Cortez, and they want the same thing back for whichever one you want. Who are you choosing? It was a stupid way to ask a would you rather. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean would you rather? <laughs> yeah, that, that's all I needed to say. <laughs> It was like when I said eight uh, yesterday or Tuesday and you were like,
2: eight? You know what's interesting is uh, old biases that you have to kind of work hard to 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 reduce. So the two biases that my, my blink answer was Gonsolin. I'd rather have Gonsolin. But they're based on two erroneous assumptions that are no longer true. One, the National League doesn't have a DH, you idiot. I mean, the National League does. But National League, you would think Oh, just take the National League guy. Two, Dodger Stadium is an easier place to pitch than Yankee Stadium. Probably still true, but maybe not to the same effect. So I'm going to take Cortez, dude.
0: Okay, yeah, but it's close, right? If you're thinking about the oh, yeah. top 40 similar, starting pitchers, yeah. the rest of the way. And mm-hmm. I think I think in our minds we're always going to try and take guys who have similarly limited track records and try and mush them together. We're going to make pitchers that have less than 200 innings of being as good as they've been with kind of similar skills and say, yeah, those two guys, they kind of fit in the same tier because that certainly is how uh, my brain works. Another Dodger, Tyler Anderson. I think he's someone that's done pretty well in the model in the past if memory serves me right and had a little bit of a a correction regression day yesterday.
2: Yeah, he does it in in a weird way because he does it with uh, poor stuff and great command. So. Just a just one that's kind of hard to bet on year to year because in any given year, the command can dissipate.
0: More Ks than we've seen in the last couple of seasons, though, as he's tried to put it all together. 22.7% K rate. This is kind of back to what he was in Colorado when no one cared. Best walk rate of his career so far. Home run rate better than it was last year. Projections aren't buying it with Tyler Anderson at all. Projections are telling you to run away, and if you have him, you move him. He, he fits on the surface into the classic, oh, I got to move this guy now. He's a sell high. But should you be on the other end of that phone call or other than that email and say, no, actually, he's not as good as he's been so far, but he's better than a mid four ZRA and a kind of mediocre whip. One thing
2: I will say is that uh, there's some evidence that the last four appearances or last 400 pitches are uh, slightly more predictive than full season stuff uh and in for tyler anderson um his best one two three four five appearances by stuff plus have all come in his last seven appearances so i think they're doing some tweaking uh to the arsenal and they're you know i think they have really good pitching coaches there and the location plus except for his last outing has uh has been excellent so uh, <clears throat> I would peg him below Gonsolin and Cortez, uh, because he's the worst stuff number, and there's just a little bit of a whiff of risk. I think of like, for example, if one person was going to leave the Dodgers' rotation tomorrow, would it be Gonsolin or Anderson? I think the answer is Anderson. Right. Although Gonsolin has a history of relieving, I think it's Anderson, and then uh. Uh, just uh, the word he has the worst stuff number of the three Uh and he he also has a long demonstrated home run track record which of course we're all kind of looking around being like you know what's it going to be this year what's the home run right what's you know what what's the true talent home run thing going to be what's home run, what are home runs in august going to look like i will note that i talked to Derek Cardi um about this issue and He thinks that the uh, ball effects have been steady, it's been mostly weather, uh, but home runs uh, on contact are up, and uh, if you look at the projections for pitchers, you will see that consistently the bat has the lowest home run per nine projection, possibly because of the other thing that Derek said, which is I'm always tracking this and always updating the model based on what I see in terms of League wide home run for on contact trends. So maybe home runs on contact are up. The bat says this is going to be a good year for people with home run problems. It still says Tyler Anderson is going to give up 1.5 homers per nine, less than the other ones, but that's still a lot and have a 4.3 ERA. I will give Tyler Anderson a, a straight four ERA, which is behind the sort of 3.75, uh, 3.5 level of maybe Cortez and and. Gonsolin.
0: So that makes him an easy pass if you see an opportunity to trade for him and it makes him some no, you're No, I to think move. that
2: he's going to, I think he costs the least out of all of these guys. I don't think there's anybody who believes that they've found something big with Tyler Anderson. I think he's a perfect dynasty uh, buy because you, you will give him an A ball pitcher or something for him. You know what I mean? Like he's going to cost nothing.
0: Yeah, but redraft, the more shell the league, the less enticing Tyler Anderson is. Some of these we talked about earlier. They're, they're going to be really good players. Yes. He's not by far and above. He, you,
2: you could you might trade for him in a 10 team and drop him.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: So keep that in mind when you're if you are trading something away, make it something that you might also drop otherwise.
0: All right. That's fair. It is also worse stuff than Nestor Cortez. You might look at Nestor Cortez and say, wait, he's in the big velo on the fastball. How do they stack up? He's got up? lots of good shapes. It's, you know, lots of different
2: different pitches he throws, lots of good shapes. I think the cutter that Cortez throws is better
0: than any pitch that Anderson throws. A few more names. A little rapid fire on these last two. Are you interested in Martin Perez or Miles Michaelis as actual by highs obviously no sort of ace expectation for them going forward but do you see something different about either one of these guys that would make you think they will in fact exceed the expectations going forward not on Perez that was an easy answer
2: for me I'm I'm totally out on him last year he had a 2-7 ERA this is I'm doing this off the top of my head but 2-7 ERA in the first half and like a 7 ERA in the second half and got left off his his uh playoff roster He is not doing anything different that I can tell this year. Um, I am out on Martin Perez. Miles Michaelis is uh, Tyler Anderson ish. He's just a guy that has a lot of pitches and great command. So, you know, these types of pitchers are, I think, great in the season you found them. You found them. Congratulations. They're not. That doesn't make him a great bet next year. In the draft, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like when you when you find a guy that has sub average stuff and good command in season, ride him. You you found a guy who's on his game and, and it's going well and he's locating well and everything's great, but that doesn't mean that you need to bump him up in your dynasty rankings or your or your next year rankings. So I would if I had Miles Michaelis or Tyler Anderson, I would just probably
0: say, thanks world, I found him. I think with Michaelis, he's never really been bad he's just been hurt yeah
2: i did buy i bought i i have uh i have tons of shares of michaelis uh i guess i should amend what i just said they make good like one dollar you know late draft pick types because you can find out within two or three starts if their command is there that year so you know i have a ton of miles michaelis cheap miles michaelis i have a dollar miles michaelis and I've Miles Michaelis and my twenty-team dynasty league, you know, all late draft picks, dart throwing type stuff, just to see if the stuff would. The stuff has to, you know, the command is there for him, and stuff has to creep up to a good enough where he can do what he's doing. So, plus the park is a nice, nice, uh, nice soft landing. Very
0: true. Well, well. It has been in the past. Right, that's right. might not we be anymore. <laughs> let's let's be careful. Historically, right. it has been. It might not be yeah, this right. year.
1: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
0: How about some buy-high relievers? A couple names that I thought were worth bringing up. Clay Holmes, David Bednar, and Jorge Lopez. And I think they're worth bringing up because with Holmes... Maybe some questions about whether or not Aroldis Chapman gets a share of the job back or gets an opportunity to win the job back. And then with Bednar and Lopez, the lingering threat this has every summer. Closers on teams that aren't going to the playoffs this year were worried Mm. they're going to get moved. Right now, you're a month away from the trade deadline, so I think you might have people in your league who are looking at Bednar and Lopez saying... I don't really want to trade saves away, but if I'm going to trade saves away, I'm going to take a chance on trading away guys who I think might not be closers anymore. So those are the three names that caught my eye. I'm curious if you're interested in going after any of those three or if there's someone else that you want to pursue.
2: Well, Holmes uh, by Stuff Plus has the best sinker in the game uh, and is the best... uh, No, not best. Uh, By Pitching Plus uh, is... uh, one of the best uh relievers in the game. I think it's fourth or fifth uh up there with Felix Bautista, Emmanuel Classe, Paul Scewald. Uh, I know people um uh, question the rankings when Paul Sewald is is up there, but just look at his results. He's been having great results too. It's not it's not just his model. Not some guy with a 5 ERA out there. Um so uh, that you could buy homes. I do think that the Yankees will fold Aroldis Chapman in for saves. So I believe that Holmes will get fewer save opportunities going forward. However, I do think he will get save opportunities. So you could buy him from somebody who thinks he won't get save opportunities and get five to ten more saves. What's your read? You think Aroldis Chapman has lost the job.
0: I haven't really come down on this because I don't have Chapman or Holmes anywhere, which means I, I am really bad at, at identifying next man up closers in the Bronx I guess I mean Holmes is filthy when you watch him he is unbelievable they just have so many good relievers it could have been King you know like it could have been I mean it could have been but they Holmes is a clear short reliever King is more of a flexible reliever so there were there were there were signs there I think there were Mm -hmm. plenty of people that picked up on Holmes well before I realized what was happening and I'm peeved at myself for lack of a better word that by the way pitching plus is
2: great for for relievers
0: man and that's yeah that's that's really what I try to do and I'm looking at situations I guess I didn't here here's what I did wrong here's the the lesson I didn't spend enough time looking at the other Yankees relievers ahead of time to see who was the model like skills wise who do I think it's going to be I just brushed it off as a it's Chapman. And that's if it's right, not that's Chapman, it. that's someone else will come say. back. That,
1: I
2: just thought it was just Chapman, you know? And so I he, got a little lazy. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But I think, and, and I'd hate to be to continue that laziness by now saying it's still Chapman when he comes back. But And, and I know that anybody in New York who's been watching, probably, I would say you might be too close to the situation because, you know, yes, Chapman has burned the Yankees a couple times. But there have been plenty of times in the past, you have to think back to other times in the past when Chapman has burned the Yankees. And has looked lost. And came back and got the job back. Mm-hmm. You know? So, uh, what I'm saying, though, is Holmes is going to have such great ratios and will still get some save opportunities that I actually think he might be an interesting buy-high. Lopez, uh, Bautista is uh, the closer of the future with the capital C. Um, I think the question just for them is, uh, what do we get back? With Bednar, I think it's a little bit more complicated because I sense a little, bit, and this is now, now I'm getting past the numbers a little bit and getting into my wishy-washy, you know, psychology baseball thing. But I, sometimes it's, it's meaningful. I sense that some momentum with the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, and I don't mean momentum like they're going to win more games. I don't even care about that. I mean in terms of organizational momentum. Like, they are getting O'Neal Cruz retweets on Twitter every five seconds, you know? And now with O'Neal Cruz, Cabrian Hayes, and uh, and and Brian um, Reynolds out there, they have three players that are good and in their peak prime years. I did some research and found that three to four peak uh, uh, position players is enough. That's a core. If you think back to even the the Cubs when they won, if you really thought about peak prime year core players There were four at any time. You know what I mean? So four is enough. And so I think if you're in Pittsburgh, you're like, uh, are we really going to take a guy, Bednar, that we have under control for a while, that's out here you know, throwing two and three inning saves and, and just looking nasty, and and he has multiple pitches, so he's not even just a guy who's going to go away when the basketball velo goes away. Are we really going to trade that away for some long shot thing? So I actually think Bednar stays. Jorge Lopez of the three is the most likely to be traded
0: out of the save situation, I think. If Bednar were to get moved too, there are teams that could just throw him in as their closer.
2: Right. And I don't think, and I, don't, I think Jorge Lopez is a little bit more like,
0: oh, the Blue Jays acquired Jorge Lopez to set up Romano. Right. He's their seventh inning guy, their eighth inning guy. Yeah. All right. So. I can follow on that. I just think there could be a window right now where someone has Bednar in your league and is more willing to trade him because of the, 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 the approach he gets deadline. traded. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I mean, if, if they all, I mean, there's no world where
0: all three of them cost the same, but if they all three cost the same, yeah, I'm taking, taking Bednar. Yeah, no, I think it's that sort of like high price is, is Holmes and you're buying in if you think he's just the guy. I think Bednar is more that second tier that has the up arrow and you're buying in if you don't think he's getting traded. And then If Lopez, Bednar costs less than Holmes, I'm taking Bednar. Hmm, I wonder.
1: I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of trades
0: involving those players. Yeah. All right. Oh, the other bullpen situation that I think is one we should talk about for a minute. What's gonna happen with the Dodgers? We're having some more Craig Kimbrell wobbles.
2: Yeah, no, but he was still top ten in pitching plus when I looked at it. I think he's I think he's gonna keep the job, dude.
0: I think he's safe. Okay. What if he gets hurt? Because that's what happened with Chapman, right? Mm-hmm. So what if he breaks? Who do the Dodgers turn to then? Who who stands out? I know Evan Phillips pops in the model because I picked him up at NL Labor a few weeks ago as my ninth pitcher. I yeah. didn't necessarily pick him up expecting him to be the clear cut. Well, Kimbrel's out. Now you're the guy. Do you see anyone that they would be more likely to turn to? Did they have a clay Holmes of their own? I think it might be Hudson. Just, um, more traditional, uh, closer
2: repertoire velocity. Um, uh, been there longer. I think it could be Hudson Phillips. I think though, is a, is a, a sneaky good pickup and the model loves him to death. And I know, um, uh, people in other front offices that were mad that the Dodgers ended up with Evan Phillips. So
0: yeah. And yet another good reliever in, uh, in Los Angeles as a result of their ability to find, find those guys pretty much everywhere. Let's move on to a couple of new bats in San Francisco. Willie Calhoun gets his wish. He gets traded. He ends up in San Francisco Given some of the comments he made about the philosophy that was being installed by Donnie Ecker, I don't know if going to San Francisco where Donnie Ecker was is going to be exactly what Willie Calhoun wants. But I think just getting out of the Rangers organization was kind of the main thing that he wanted. And plus, as you've described on this show before, the Giants have... Multiple coaches who try and get through to players in a way that works for them, even if they're on the same page in terms of what they want to instill as an organization. The way you hear it can be different depending on which coach you tend to to click with. So between Willie Calhoun and Yermin Mercedes, who they recently acquired from the White Sox, two guys who can hit a bit and don't really play good defense at <laughs> any position, but any hitters who fit that profile are interesting going to the Giants. It's just the way this team has been the last couple of years. So what do you make of Calhoun and Mercedes getting these fresh starts? It's interesting. You know, I think that the
2: one of the, the brilliance of the Giants is that they have both high ball hitters and low ball hitters, and they have this sort of what's it called? Like lineup diversity of approach. Um, And I think that that suits them really well. But in this case, they picked up two guys that do the same thing, which is they're not guys who are going to barrel the ball 10% of the time. If you have a guy who's going to barrel the ball 10% of the time, everybody wants him. you know, that everybody's on that page. What these guys are going to do is barrel the ball six to 7% of the time, but also make contact 14 to 16% of the time, you know, make more contact than people and have a decent uh, sense of balls and strikes. So, you know, it's not a guy who's going to slug 600. But they're hoping it's a guy who can slug 450 with like a 350 on-base percentage, right? Now you just got a free 800 OPS. Yeah, where does he play? I don't know. I'll figure it out. You know, this isn't a team that's uh, that has great defenders, everybody. You know, anywhere. This isn't a team uh, that... You know, yes, it would be improved by a superstar center fielder or, or a young shortstop in his prime. Yes. But in, in case we can't get those things, we're going to get these bit pieces and make them fit. So the, the only thing that, uh, you know, I do think it's a bit of a flex to, to go get, uh, you know, Willie Calhoun saying Donnie Ecker doesn't work for me and uh, and and put him in, a, in the house that Donnie Ecker built. Um, but, uh, Justin Vili is the other guy there. They have multiple voices there and maybe they're just saying, Hey, we're not going to try and change you as much. We're going to let you, let you do what you do best, which is make contact, uh, hit a bunch of doubles, uh, the occasional Homer, um, you know, steamer still says that if you gave, uh, Willie Calhoun a full season, in, in San Francisco he'd hit 21 well, I don't know this is probably not adjusted for San Francisco yet but he'd hit 20 homers with a 250 average 320 obP 430 uh slugging which in this run environment is actually pretty good it would be 10 percent above league average says steamer so uh in terms of the depth chart though I, one thing with yourmine Mercedes is I the this Giants team is desperate for catching if you watch the 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 moves that they're making you know they just Traded for Austin Winds, and they they traded for that guy Pap Pap Papierski Pap Papierski. They traded for Papierski with Meduban. They traded for Winds from the Orioles. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, and they demoted uh, um, uh, Joey Bart. So. They they are looking for a solution at catching. They have Kirk Casale. They're they're definitely trying to improve the catching depth. They're, they're they're they're. This is a a point of concern for them. Could Mercedes be like the backup catcher, like the offensive minded backup catcher? I I don't think it's impossible. Um, it's going to get crowded at DH. Otherwise, uh, the other thing that I wonder is, is a Darren Roof... um move imminent darren ruff is still eight percent better than league average but the slugging has not been there for him this year Hmm. what's the next move i know lamont wade jr is about to come up so let's build a roster real quick i know it's it's minutiae but it's important because it means what what is willie calhoun's chance so you you gotta have longoria crawford uh estrada belt so that's that's four How, how many um you can have 14, no, 13 hitters 13, now. yep. 13 hitters now. So we got four uh, starting infielders. Flores is five. Lastella is six. Two catchers is eight. Yastrzemski is nine. Jock Peterson is 10. Um, that's 10. Okay. Slater is 11. You can call that Slater or Luis Gonzalez. That's 11. So you got uh, two places left. Lamont Wade Jr. is 12. And rough is thirteen. So who's who's losing their job, or is the, or were these just depth moves?
0: Mm, I think you you didn't mention Donovan Walton, so he'd have to go down. He's going down. Yeah, I mean if everybody's healthy, I think so. You had Listella in that group at the beginning, right? Yeah. So he stays. So your
2: your your three in in Sacramento are, that are most interesting are Walton, who I think is just a career sort of utility guy backup. I don't think you want to play him that much. Uh, Calhoun, who people are a little bit excited about and uh, and you mean Mercedes. So maybe Mercedes is a catcher in this situation. I think maybe he is maybe just catching depth, you know, uh, but Calhoun, people like you know, people are excited about and he has a good projection. Who's he knocking out? Rough Slater could be Slater.
0: Yeah, it still looks like a partial share of playing time as the roster is currently built. I keep looking at this team and thinking like, of all the things they they have kind of lined up in the long run. If Joey Bart is not the answer as far as the long-term catcher, I think they need to think about making a trade for one. And if you need that now, look across the bay. Sean yeah, Murphy sitting right Sean. there. I mean, there's, there's a guy that could solve your problem for the next several years at the very least you're getting a good defender with thump maybe you get even more from him offensively they could probably make a few adjustments with him and help him unlock what i think is the the offensive profile of a top 10 catcher i think that's reasonable for sean murphy so that'd be a good move for them to consider making and they probably have some combination of players they could put together to actually make that deal with the a's i think they'd I'm becoming pessimistic about this team. And I and I know that we've talked about them a
2: lot, and we we can stop talking about them soon. But I would just say that they are not young or good defensively at any premium defensive position. The closest you get is Tyro Estrada at second.
0: They need three. And they the just poor. traded
2: away Duggar. So I actually don't think Slater loses out to Calhoun because you need Slater as the backup center fielder. Your two best center fielders are your Stremski and Slater, and they're both... Neither of them are great center fielders. So I don't think Calhoun's making this team anytime soon.
0: It could just take an injury to open the door. And maybe they want a couple of weeks in AAA with him to make a few adjustments before maybe they, they give him that opportunity.
2: But not, none of these are... Yeah, but, but my grander point also is that none of these are long-term fixes. They're doing the best they can to like have a winning team while their guys are old. But they really, really need... Guys like Marco Luciano, Luis Matos, they need those guys, and they need them soon because it's getting real kind of
0: haggard up the middle here. Let's count it his prospect of the week. I mean, I think Luis Matos, he deserves attention, not because he's playing well, but how concerned are you by what you've seen at high A this year? He's hitting 190 with the 262 OBP and a 246 slug. It's only 33 games. I know he's young for the level. But this is a guy that is a really important part of their future. Their their system is still, as a whole, one that I think you have more questions about than, than clear-cut answers. Luciano should be an eventual star. He'd be the kind of player that eventually fits in as one of the, the three core players for a team you know, going into a five- or six-year window. Kyle Harrison looks about as good as any pitching prospect can really look. So maybe they've got an answer coming there. You know, I think with Ramos and averson arteaga there's a couple names there that could pop but i don't think ramos is gonna make the leap to it seems like maybe more than like a like yeah. a big platoon guy kind of player like I, I don't even I don't kind of using him that way you know i'm surprised he's been a little up and down he'd he be a small too. side platoon guy if he ends up in a platoon which would be really bad but i just think he's more of a, a 500 plate appearance sort of player than an everyday guy based on what we're seeing in the the upper levels of the of the minor leagues
2: yeah i'm not i'm not sure about uh about ramos anymore not not super excited about him artiaga i have seen him personally uh with my own eyes and he was definitely the best player on the field but that's also a ball and i think luis matos is showing you how difficult it is to go even from low a to high a uh, because that's the jump he's making Um, and then he's got to make another jump to double A. So uh, the one thing I do like is he's still kept his strikeout rate under twenty percent. Um, one thing that's weird is that he's pulling the ball sixty three percent of the time, uh, and not in the air. So everything, uh, something is uh, is awry there with either the approach or uh, the mechanics. Um, but yeah, Arteaga, Luciano, those are some some good names. They they have. Uh, and Harrison is is great. Uh, I did want to point out I am concerned with Matos, um, especially since, like I said, it's that jump. Uh, But uh, some love to a former uh, prospect of the week, Gunnar Henderson.
0: Yeah, it's looking uh, real good.
2: Just got uh, some pop on Baseball prospectus as possibly the best prospect in the minor leagues now. So I'm super happy that uh, once I made him prospect of the week, I went out and uh, got as many shares of him as were still available to me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's doing everything right. So, we uh, we'll have to do more research and get you guys a real prospect of the week coming up soon instead of uh, this sort of. Half-assed Matos Hunt henderson action.
0: <laughs> I, I, I just think it was worth bringing up the Giants system. Yeah, we got to che- yeah, check
2: back in with those guys, and yeah,
0: because I have Matos in a long-term league, and I'm I am worried, and I'm willing to trade him as someone that's trying to make a run in that league this year. And I, I don't think I'm gonna have uh, a lot of regrets if if he does turn it around. Good for him. I hope he does. I just I think it could take a little longer than I was hoping. I thought he might be someone that cruised through in relatively short order for an international signing and would be an impact guy right away. It's just going to be a longer road than we had hoped. I will,
2: I will trade you somebody in A-ball so hard. <laughs> I will give you this A-ball hitter with a 400 average. I will, I will give them to you. Here you go. Give me something good.
0: Well, I think I'd be <laughs> – yeah, that's – I mean, you can usually feel good about trading players yeah. at the A-ball level in long-term <laughs> leagues for the most part. Here's something we have to do, given the circumstances. We have to talk about Spencer Strider because there is a question from Ryan. And Ryan wants to know, what's the difference between Spencer Strider's command and stuff as a starter compared to what he was doing earlier in this season as a reliever? Is there a chance that Spencer Strider is a top 15 to 20 range starting pitcher moving forward?
2: There is. You wouldn't rank him as such because of the risk, but I do think there is. And, uh, one thing that's been amazing is that, uh, his, his stuff plus has come down, uh, as a, as a starter, as a reliever, he was throwing one fifties and one sixties out there and just being basically had the best stuff in the, in, in the major leagues. Um, as a re- as a starter, uh, once he's crossed the 80 uh, pitch threshold, that's gone down significantly uh, to basically 110 to uh, 130. Uh, he does have one starting appearance. The one where he threw 106 pitches, he had a 140 stuff plus. So he, he still looks great when it comes to that. But what's really been great is, you know, after his first three appearances, he had a really low stuff plus number. He had two 80s in a row um, in, in, in location plus. Sorry. Um, and so you thought, oh, this is a traditional reliever type. He can't command the ball. Um, you know, this is Matt Brash, right? I mean, there was a lot of similarities, but that was 150 pitches in location. Plus comes online last of the three models. And it really does take about 300 pitches. So 150 pitches in, he had like a 90, a 90 location plus, and you thought he was a reliever. Here are his next three location pluses in order 105 117 112 since then he's had two starts under 100 so i think the location stuff was uh i think he does he had you know his last start was 90 location plus uh three starts four starts ago he had 85 he does he, he, you know he's not like uh, aaron nola you know he's not like a command artiste but um my long-term command, concerns about him having only reliever command are out the window. And so he's been regularly throwing up 115s uh, pitching pluses as a starter. That's really, really good. So I, I'm I'm all in. And this might be a great time to go get him
0: because he's just coming off of, off of a bad start, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he fits into the buy-high conversation too. That's why I thought it was a really good question well, to put on this it, particular rundown.
2: Yeah, and he's kind of an interesting guy because he'd buy high and also uh, just gave up six runs. Like one of those moments where, like, the cost might not be that bad. Maybe someone uh, thinks, oh man, he, he isn't. He's a,
0: just a reliever. Go get him now. Yeah, a bit of a, a temporary break. I, mean, I know Dylan Cease's arsenal when he came into the league was just a little bit deeper than Striders is right now. But just in terms of, strikeout expectations, getting by with a slightly elevated walk rate, I kind of think that's what I think Strider will be. Freddie Peralta had this too. Tons of Ks, walk problems, Mm -hmm. some inconsistency with command, but he got through it to the point where, I mean, look where Freddie Peralta was going in drafts this draft season, kind of at the 3-4 turn of 15-team leagues. Cease a big riser these last couple of seasons. I think Strider could be more like those guys – as far as how he's valued and, and the types of Roto value he brings back in these next couple seasons.
2: Yeah. And the change up uh, is really, really inconsistent and, you know, goes from negative to positive stuff plus and, but it flashes. Okay. So, you know, I, I do think there's a possibility he has at least a show me change up. Um, and I guess, you know, you, you know, the, He's got some of that Drew Rasmussen um, upside limitations in terms of how long how long will they let a fastball slider guy who was a reliever this season go into deep into games? How many wins will he get? Probably not a good quality start guy. Uh,
0: But in most leagues, I want Penn Spencer Strider. Does he fall in the group ahead of Nestor Cortez and Tony Gonsolin, or is he part of that? cluster value wise even though his ceiling is considerably higher
2: i had him uh behind those guys but close i had him right there I, I've, I've wanted to be aggressive um and so i put him in the 30s um i might push him ahead of uh well ahead of landsland but ahead of jose barrios maybe i don't know <laughs> do you want to take uh, the barrios question too yeah, what it, 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 I can I paraphrase? Is it just what is wrong with
0: Jose? Basically, Barrios? Basically, it's a <laughs> yeah. I, I'm we got the question from Pete. He's baffled by the ever worsening Statcast profile in the face of pitching plus. Uh, still, kind of saying no, like you should you should believe in Jose Barrios. So, what should we do with him?
2: I've seen some evidence that he's throwing the forcing too much, um, and uh, the trends on his stuff plus are not good. Uh in his last start he had a seventy eight stuff plus. It's off gross. Uh but the start before that was 117. So I-, I think he's uh toggling his pitch mix because he he is a fastball, uh, four forcing fastball sinker, curveball guy with a changeup he can't command that well. Um so he in a in effect in effect you could call him a two pitch pitcher, fastball sli- a fastball breaking ball. Um I think what happens is uh they have a game plan that maybe they don't adjust fast enough. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like, they're like, oh, yeah, you got to do this with the four seam. And then some days the four seam is not there. That would be my guess. I do have a uh, player per pitch. So let me, I'm going to test my assertion now. I'm going to go look at Jose Barrios's four seam fastball by start. Oh, yeah. There are some games where he has a 79 stuff plus on the four seam fastball. And there are games where he has a 116. And sometimes they come right after each other. So I just, I don't know. I think the four seam goes in and out. I said that was true for Manoa, but this it's much more true for Barrios.
0: At what point then would you look at a, a gap from game to game and say, yeah, players are waves. They're not perfectly the same every time out. But I, I would wonder, is he tipping? How could you be that different with that pitch? That doesn't That doesn't add up.
2: Yeah. Let me see if his uh, release point is dropping. Sometimes uh, if you're hurting in a small way, your release point adjusts. Mm -hmm. And if your release point adjusts...
0: And he's really had a durability since uh, coming to the big leagues too.
2: Yeah, but sometimes... I mean, there's durability like being out there and then there's durability like actually feeling good. Um. I think there must be. There it is.
0: Sorry, there was bad compared to last year.
2: Um, I'm just looking at his vertical release point. It's dropping a little. It's dropping from where it used to be. Let me see about game by game. Hmm. It's all right. I, I don't really have a great answer except that i think that his his four seam is is not naturally great he hits yeah there's been some there's been a two inch difference uh in his four seam release point over the course of the season so uh i think it might be you know to get the right four seam he needs to really be on top of the ball and some games he can kind of reach up there and do it And some games for whatever reason he can't is that is that a satisfying answer? Probably not. I mean, it doesn't. Does that give us a, a way to to act with him going forward? I,
0: yeah. Am I, am I right to assume you wouldn't be actively trading for him right now? It wouldn't take much to get him relative to draft day, anyway.
2: Yeah. I mean, his projections are pretty mediocre right now because of his strikeout minus walk rate. We're seventy five innings for him, and he has an average strikeout minus walk rate. And as I said, uh, about you know about sixty innings into the season. Uh, you know, strikeout minus walk rate becomes more powerful than the pitching plus model. So, um, I would be believing projections now. If you think that uh, you know four ERA, uh, with an eight K nine is useful for you, uh, and you could get him very cheap, then I would do it. And also, I think if you were buying for next season, I think that he might be an interesting dynasty acquisition. Yeah, he's old enough where it's not going to. It wouldn't cost you too much. You just you're just betting for, uh, you'd just be betting for a, a rebound to where he was, you know, any of the previous seasons, you know.
0: Still young enough to do it, hasn't lost much velocity, so I could, I could probably talk myself into that. I think the other question that could come up is in ten and twelve team leagues, he's probably going to get dropped in some of those formats at some point if this continues. Are you kicking the can and taking a chance on him making some adjustments in season? And that probably comes back to how valuable is a four ERA in your particular league? What is your pitching situation looking like? I think the the team context is good in terms of win and, and K potential, at least. And if he could just make a couple small changes.
2: Uh, yeah, let's let's uh, but also just look at him. Let's pretend uh, he's a matchups guy. Let's go backwards and 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 see what we do at Chicago White Sox. If he was just a matchups guy, I wouldn't I wouldn't throw him there, right?
0: You miss uh, with the injuries the White Sox have been dealing with. I've been it's more a, willing to chance it with them.
2: All right, but let's 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 say he's like streamer, okay? Let's say he's streamer level in a ten team yeah, thing.
0: We could do this going forward. They get, they get the Brewers this weekend if he's pitching in that series. Would you throw away? him on the road on at the road? At, at, uh, at American Family Field.
2: No, I think no. Because that's, a, that's like at Chicago. What's Home against that? the Red
0: Sox? Probably a no. Yeah, I guess that's a no. What's after that? Home against the Rays? Yes. At Oakland? Yes. And these are consecutive series, so you wouldn't necessarily get all of them because they're three-game right. series. At Seattle? Yes. Home against the Phillies? Mm. That feels like a no to me. Yeah. Yeah. Home against the Royals would be in. Yeah. Uh, at the Red Sox after the All Star break would, at this point, be he's a no. Out, yeah. Home against the Cardinals if he caught them. Uh, that offense uh, yes. is flying high, so you can take the chance there. Yes. Home against the Tigers would be an in. And then at the Rays again, probably still an in. That's up to the trade deadline. Things could be pretty different then. So he's kind of a 50 50 starter. 50 50. Some pretty good matchups in August. They catch the Orioles a couple times that month. They've got an Angels team that who knows what kind of shape they're going to be in Cubs. So if you have there, there any sort of be bench, few.
2: I think he'd be, and, and he did get dropped or you could get him for super cheap. I think it might be interesting to have him as one of those stars you have on your bench that you, you start, you know, once every other start, wow, I've got guys the like, nice. a lot. like I have Tyler Malley still on my dynasty 12 team bench, you know, for some people he's droppable for me. He's a guy I start away from home.
0: Yeah. And occasionally at home, but yeah, I, I, Plenty of strikeouts, as we discussed on the 3 0 show. Yeah. He has been a machine in that category as well, over 200 in the past calendar year. See, leaderboards are fun, especially <laughs> when presented as a game show. Uh, we have to go. If you got questions for a future episode, you can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you don't have a subscription, get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. On Twitter, Eno is at Edo Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. And thankfully, construction seems to be done on the side of my building. So I think we're back to a normal schedule. We should be back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening.